0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to VillageChurchBaltimore.com. Our scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians 8, 9-13. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we pray that your spirit would come and would rest heavily on us, that it would speak to our hearts gently with your kindness, that we would see you for who you really are, that it would stir in us an affection for you, that we wouldn't be able to help but, but yield to in becoming more like you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, most of you have probably played the game Mad Libs, I'm guessing. Yes? 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 Fantastic. This is Sermon Mad Libs. I need a fun event or activity. Christmas Christmas party. Okay. What? Just normal everyday life, not your Christian life. Just your normal everyday life. What do you got? Birthday parties. Birthday parties? Okay, let's do that. We're doing birthday parties. Uh, so, for the past fifteen years, I've been a retail store manager. That—that uh, that was what I was doing. Part of that uh, meant that I was a trainer. And uh, so I would train people in sales, uh, technique, all, all that stuff. One of the things that people started to notice was very different about me was I really focused on character. Because you can have all the best technique in the world. Your behaviors can be perfect, what people would consider just the best. But it does not help you help your customer. And the reason is because your customer can tell that you actually don't care about them. But when you have character, your customer can tell. They can tell that genuinely you've come into the store and you've asked for help. And this, this sales associates, they're merely wanting to help you achieve the thing that you're trying to achieve. And so they're asking you questions, trying to help you understand so that you can truly do what it is that you want to do. Character counts way more than technique, and I, I actually—I kind of thought that it was funny. I wasn't going to share this, but I guess I am. Um, I, I thought it was funny because because I got this—I got this from the scriptures. I was trying to figure out ways to to be like Jesus in in my own work environment. And I thought that if I just used biblical principles to, to teach people how to do what it is that we do, that, that, that it would be obvious to folks. But it actually wasn't. People were fairly shocked that I was a Christian when they found out, um, which was really disappointing and depressing at first because I thought, oh, what have I done wrong? But then I heard why they didn't really associate me as a Christian. It was two things. Uh, one, because I was kind. And two, because I valued reason. And it made me very sad <laughs> that, uh, that those things were not things that they would associate with followers of Jesus. Um, so I guess I said that um, to, to say, as, as we all live and have work environments, um, one, be kind and, and, and love reason. Paul reasons from the Scriptures often to tell people about Jesus. So, so love those things and let people see that in you. But two, you cannot assume that people are just going to think that you're a Christian because you are like that or because you uphold some sort of values or or you you love people to Jesus without ever even talking about them um, because that tends to not happen. Because the world that we live in, people don't tend to ask that question that we keep thinking that they're going to ask. Why are you so nice? Why are you the way that you are? People don't ask those kinds of questions. So let's... Let's be aware, let's be aware. so we've been in uh, the letter to the Corinthians. It's the one that we we think is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians um, and we're talking about food sacrifice to idols, which I know was probably your biggest concern uh, this morning as you woke up uh, was food sacrifice to idols um, I was when i when I pulled the straw to actually preach on this I was I was really stoked because it's a constant struggle of mine as well. Um, But but, uh, uh, things that we've talked about before, we've talked about division inside of the church. Uh, We've talked about sexuality and um, what Paul's telling us about how we identify as as sexual creatures uh, in the Lord and and how uh, dramatically important it is uh, that we understand who we are um, in view of the gospel. And today, yes, we are talking about food sacrificed to idols. I, I hope that I can maybe tell a story that puts some flesh on it to make some sense for you. Um, I am not very interested in trying to pull that out and just go here. Let's just let's just look at it in view of like we'll call it this one, you know, whatever it is, drinking or you know, pick a thing. And just say, we're, we're going to talk about it like that. And the reason is there's two. One is the vast majority of people that follow Jesus in the world that we live in today are dealing with this very issue. They are dealing with this very issue. So I pray that you would see the world in a global perspective, knowing and remembering that you have brothers and sisters across the world, that this is very, very relevant for them. And so as we learn about this, let's remember them. Let's be praying for them. And let's be preparing ourselves because who knows, maybe one day God will send, and I pray that he will send some of us out as missionaries to countries like that where this is a real issue and you really need to know what the text has to say about it. (coughs) Sorry, I'll probably cough in your face like that a couple of times. My bad. <coughs> so, food sacrifice to idols, that's, that's one. The, the other reason that I feel like we should, we should talk about food sacrifice to, to idols and, and really hone in on it um, instead of replacing it with something else is that whatever I would replace it with might distract you from what Paul's actual point is. So we're going to stay focused on what Paul's saying so that we can actually hear what he's trying to stir up inside of us. Okay? So those are two two points there. Um, So, the letter to the Corinthians. Food, sacrifice to idols. Go with me to uh, the town of Corinth. And in this town... You have many temples. Uh, We're going to use, we'll use this space over here. We've got these little spindles, and let's just imagine they're like 300 times bigger. It's just this massive temple, and in the middle of it, uh, we have this statue here. We'll say uh, Aphrodite was their patron goddess, so we'll say this is Aphrodite here. And so this is her temple. And one of the things that you would do if you were born and raised in Corinth, or if you were just A Roman citizen, and you knew how to do what Roman citizens do, Uh, you might be a fisherman that comes off of the sea and you you end up in Corinth. One of the things that you would do is you would take an animal and you would bring it over here to the temple. And there are priests there, and the priests would slaughter the animal, they would cut it up, they would cook it, and you would share a meal with that priest. You would share a meal together. And as you all communed and had a meal together, you were communing with the God or goddess of that temple. And you would do this to endear yourself to the God or the goddess so that they would like you. Because they have strengths and attributes, and you want those. So say it's a a God who uh, embodies power and wealth, then you want power and wealth, and so you want to endear yourself to the God for those things. Or if it's a God of sex and pleasure, then you would be searching for those things, and you would come and you would desire those things, and so you would have this meal. So say you're a fisherman, and you... You come and you do this on a regular basis. But another thing that you do is you sell your fish in the market. Well, the priests do the same thing. The leftovers from your meal, they take and they bring it over to the market, maybe set up a booth beside you, and they're selling meat at a good price. You're selling your fish. Maybe you don't want fish tonight for dinner, so you go, ah, maybe I can do a trade with the, uh, the priest and get some, some meat on cheap. So you have two ways that you can acquire this meat that's been sacrificed to idols. One is going and participating in the temple. Uh, one is uh, in the marketplace itself. So you have these two, you have these two ways of, uh, of interacting with this. Now imagine there's this man named Paul shows up in the marketplace, sets up his booth beside yours. You ask him, what do you do? He says, oh, I make and repair tents. I do leather work. Oh, that's cool. And over time, y'all begin to talk and have a relationship and begins to share with you about this man, Jesus, who he says isn't just merely a man. And as you begin to learn about who this Jesus is, something what we know now is the Spirit pricks your heart and the church begins, a spark, (laughs) a spark so exciting. (laughs) Got myself all caught up. Um, And this church starts. Others begin to hear. Paul begins to tell others. You begin to tell others. And as you begin to tell and talk, uh, stories are told. Paul tells you things like, you know, one time Jesus was talking with these men. And as they were talking, this issue of of, um, rituals came up. And... And they were concerned because all of Jesus' disciples, they, they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And so Jesus talked to them for a while, but he pulls his disciples aside after it's all over and goes, "Guys, don't you understand? It's not what you put inside of you that defiles you. What you put inside of you, it, it just goes into your system and it comes out again. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you because that's what comes from the heart. So, you begin to think and wrestle on these things as followers of Jesus together, newborn Christians hammering out your faith. And so, you, you think about this, and then you, you're in the market and you're, you're thinking about these things, and you're, you're selling and you're, you're telling people about Jesus and thinking about that temple that you used to go to. And you go, you know, that meat's just meat. It just goes into my mouth, and it passes through my system, and it comes out again. It's not really anything. It doesn't have to associate me with a deity. I, could, I have the right and the freedom to actually continue to buy that meat. And that's the story that we're in. So let's take a look at it. We started at the end, Uh, and the reason we started at the end is because most often when we read the scriptures by ourselves, we're reading it having our quiet times, that little, you know, 10, 20 minutes uh, right before we go to work or right before we go to bed, and the stuff that we're going to read in 1 through 6 is the stuff that we kind of like, our eyes are kind of glazing over, and we're going, what is he talking about? I don't have time for this. Oh, here's something I can maybe apply to my life. Okay, cool. So let's go ahead and look at that, right? You know y'all do that too. Um, Let's go ahead and look at this, and then we can go back and see what that other stuff's all about. Uh, So, verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. The knowledge that meat is just meat, and it just goes into your system and it comes out again. Not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols... Eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So for you, that's not the case, but for them, it is. For them, this still is real. Food will not commend you to God. We are no worse off if we don't eat, and we're no better if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, for if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not be uh, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed is destroyed, this brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So hear, hear this. Maybe I, This word destroyed is a good place to go. This word destroyed, there's two places I'll point out. Um, one, uh, it's Christmas time, uh, when baby Jesus was born, There was another king already installed. His name was Herod. And when he found out about Jesus and that people were calling him the Messiah, he said this. He said, destroy Jesus. He used that word. That word of what you do to your brother, he used that word. So it's very clear what we're talking about when we say destroy. This isn't a figurative thing. It may be for Paul here, but it has very real weight to it. The other time is, uh, that I'll point out at least is that Jesus was on trial at the end of his life, and there was an option to set him free. And the crowd could pick between him and a man named Barabbas, and they said, set Barabbas free, destroy Jesus. So another way to say this would be, don't kill people that Jesus was killed for. Do not kill people that Jesus was killed for. That's your takeaway, that's your principle, that's your your thing. Do not kill people that Jesus was killed for. What they are weaker in, in knowledge, they do not yet have the strength to see the things the way that you do. So one, this may not be relevant for you because you may not have people that are not as far along in their faith as you living in community with you. And so the first thing that I would say for us to do is we need to get around people who are new believers in their faith. New believers in their faith. If we begin to be insular and we get in our little holy huddles and we just get around people that are just like us, we can't even apply text like this. We won't even be prepared for those moments when people come to know the Lord and we're the one who's there to disciple them. So get around those Who are weaker in their faith than you? If we stopped here, if we just stopped at this, then this right here would be a good religious activity. You came, we sang some songs, we heard somebody talk, we got a takeaway, a thing to go and do, go do this thing. There you go. Have fun. Have a good day. Be encouraged. Fight out the rest of your week. But that is not the gospel. And that's the reason that verses 1 through 6 are there, is because we see this in light of 1 through 6. So let's back up and let's take a look. Because what our motives are matters. So let's take a look here. Verse 1 So he's just now introducing this concept of food sacrifice to idols. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess this knowledge. But this knowledge, it puffs up. It puffs up. But love, love builds up. Now we've used this word puffed up before this is this is a word for pride or arrogance when they were talking about division in the church they were using leaders in the church to lift them up over and above other leaders in the church and it was causing them to have pride it was puffing them up because they were lifting and exalting something up and above Jesus here they're doing it with their knowledge but they're not even aware that they're doing it they're doing it in their own freedom they're doing it in their own rights because they're not even thinking about their brother. So, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, God knows him. So if you take the knowledge that you have, if you take this idea that that food sacrificed to an idol is not really anything... Because it just goes into our system and passes out again. It doesn't defile us. It's what comes out of us. It's a heart issue, really. It's, it's what comes out of us that defiles us. We know this. But if I just have that and I use that as my freedom to go and just live my life, I could harm and injure so many other people because there's no love in that. It's just duty. It's just behavior modification. It's nothing. It's nothing. So, when we couple it with love, God recognizes you. He sees you. He knows you. So, this is a heart issue. Because when you see Jesus rightly, Jesus decides your rights. When you see Jesus rightly, Jesus will begin to decide your rights. You know what they are. You know what you could do. But when you start to see Jesus, really see Jesus, and that's what this next little section is here about, 4 through 6, is really, really seeing him. When you really see him the way that we were talking about this morning or singing about, when your affections were stirred, when you really see him, he will begin to decide what the real rights are for you. Here's our Mad Lib. Do you have the kind of a heart that would give up birthday parties for your brother? I don't care what that thing is. I don't care what that thing is that goes in the blank. Because if you care about what the thing is that goes in the blank, you missed it. Because it's a heart thing. You can put anything in the blank. Because whatever it is, it's not a sin. Eating the food is not a sin. Paul articulates it. They articulate it. Eating the food is not the sin. The sin is when you eat the food and it causes someone else harm. (coughs) Paul's conclusion I had skipped in verse 13. It says this, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make him stumble. That's our conclusion to all of this, after seeing God's goodness, his glory, his majesty, that I would give up anything for the sake of my brother. Jesus does it another way. He takes, he takes this, um, this daily prayer of the Jews. We call it the Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we will love our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. And he tacks on from Leviticus, and we will love our neighbor as ourself. Our neighbor as ourself. And Paul's merely teaching the same thing, that we should love our neighbor as ourself. Because Jesus tells us in John, that if you're his disciple people are going to know and recognize you by the love that you have for each other which is why this is so crucial because you should be willing you should have a kind of a heart that has been so stirred by Jesus that you can't help but become like him and to be like him you are willing to give up everything for your brother did he not give up everything for us So let's take a look at this. I probably talked way too long and don't have time, but we're going to look at it here. Uh, Verse (coughs) 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. There is one God, the Father, for whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. That passage that I told you about, Deuteronomy six, chapter four, the the great Shema, the Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Paul's taking it, and I hope you like poetry because I'm really going to ask you to go home, take this, and take Deuteronomy chapter six, heat up a kettle make some tea, and just sit with this and look at it. Because this will rock your world. It will rock your world. When you really read all of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's not saying that there's one God and there are no other gods. It's saying for us, there is one God, and as you, the, so it's the people of Israel, and they're about to go into the promised land. And Moses is trying to let them know Don't go in there and see all those other gods and start to worship them and start to serve them. Because when you do, those are not the gods. You will have forgotten the God who rescued you, who saved you, who brought you into freedom out of slavery. You'll forget that God when you begin to compromise and begin to worship others or bring them into tandem where your brother might be in the same position where they come and they go, well, I saw him eating the food sacrifice to an idol and he's further along in his faith than me, so maybe if I come here and I eat this food sacrifice to an idol, I can do this and I can follow Jesus. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And we can't let not the gospel harm our brother. And so we're willing to give up whatever that is because we have a heart that is so stirred in our affections for who Jesus is. So he puts, what's really cool about this, I'll just, I'll give you a hint and then you can go and just have fun with it. But um, the word Lord there is the personal name of God. And what you would think is is that he would put that with the Father. But he doesn't. He puts it with Jesus. And so you've just got to go and sit there and go, okay, well, well, so is the creator God of the entire universe, is that that the Father? Or is that Jesus? Because then he says that that God's the one that created everything, the Father. He created everything, but that everything was created through Jesus. So then that kind of separates them out. But this thing about Lord, that kind of brings them back together. And now I'm just confused. So is God, is, is God one? Is it two? Well, he says it's one, so it's got to be one. It's one. But, but is, is Jesus the God of the Old Testament? Or is the Father? The Father's the God of the Old Testament. Then Jesus it's like we like find out about him. He was kind of this, he was this this other thing that just nobody talked about. Maybe that's it. And so then you ask, Is is Jesus God? Is is the Father God? And then you just have to come to the conclusion, yes. Yes. And he's completely mind-blowing. Because Jesus, being the creator God, is so high and lifted up, it was not a second-rate position that Jesus decided to step out of so that he could die on a cross and be resurrected so that he could get a better seat at the table in heaven. He was there in perfect communion with the Father before all of us ever even were an idea. And he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant to love, to live, and to die for us so that we could have life. To conquer the two things that we could never do ourselves, overcoming sin and death. So we must conclude that truly seeing God's greatness leads us to act in love as a response to his love for us. So in this, we find joy and hope and peace, and we can't help ourselves but sacrifice whatever we have to for our brothers. If I didn't make myself clear between religion and following Jesus, maybe this will help and will close. All religions seek peace and hope for you. But if you were to take and sum up all religions and put a face on the deity, it would be pulling out your phone, snapping a selfie, printing out the page, and slapping it on the face of the God of the image of the idol because all other religions are self-religions let me tell you what I mean other religions tell you things like you need to find enlightenment well where do I find it how do I get this knowledge this wisdom where do I find it where's it at oh it's inside you it's inside you You've got to figure it out. You've got to be the one to think and meditate and process, and then you'll come to the point where you evaluate that you are now enlightened. <coughs> Another way to say it is you, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And no one gets to this enlightenment except through mental exercise and juggling. Another way to say it, some would tell you that you need to follow a stringent set of moral activities. You need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this so that the gods will not be mad at you. Whoever your God is, that they will not be mad at you, they will not punish you, they will not harm you, and you can get in good with them. My friends, that is still saying, you are the way. You are the truth and you are the life. And you will not get into the good graces of whatever God that is unless you do your duty. Another one, they tell you that there is nothing beyond you, what you can observe and what you can test. And that your sense of morality, well, that's yours and it's arbitrary. It's decided by you. And they would say this, there is no way. There is no truth. There is no life. And there is no way to the Father because he doesn't exist. Because you cannot test him. You cannot observe him. You cannot analyze him. And my friends, every single one of these falls short. I have tasted each, and they fall short. Jesus is so very different. He offers peace and hope and love, and a word that I couldn't even say before when I was talking about the other ones, joy. Joy. They don't even offer joy. They won't even talk about it. You can ask them about it. They don't understand the concept. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. (laughs) But what that looks like is you just sitting there and just receiving It is not an activity. It is not a thing that you do. It's not an exercise of your will that you make some decision. You just receive everything that Jesus has done. And that is the gospel. And those other things are not. For a really long time, I thought the one in the middle was actually the gospel. I was so That was so wrong. So how do you respond? I I have no idea how do you respond. But I will tell you this, and I I hope that, that this can go with you, is that your salvation is not the only thing that comes by faith alone. But your behaviors, or the big word is your sanctification, you becoming like Jesus, that is also by faith alone. It is also by faith alone. It's not your own works. It's that you look and you gaze upon the glory and majesty of the Son of God in all of His splendor, and all of His glory, as one crucified on a cross, as one risen from the dead. And when you do, and the Spirit pricks your heart and stirs your affections for Him, You will not be able to help but become like him. You will not be able to help but take on his mannerisms. I don't know if you've ever had a really great boss that you're just like, man, this person hung the moon and I just want to do everything like them. But you start to talk like them, you start to walk like them, you start to say the things that they say, they have all these catchy phrases, and you just want to learn how to be like them. It's not a duty for you, it's a delight. It's how you can, it's the only way that you can see yourself moving forward is by trying to become like them. And it's not even a conscious decision that you make. You just start doing it. And then your wife goes, why do you always say the stuff that he says? Why? What do you keep talking like? Name that boss. That is what it is for us when we truly see Jesus for who Jesus is. If you have never experienced that first step, I offer you that first step. We do communion where we come and there's there's bread and we take the bread and we dip it in the juice. And it's a meal. This is a covenant relationship meal with the creator of the universe, but it is very different from this meal. This meal, it endears you to the deity. This one does nothing like that. This one is one that we share, not because we want anything from him, but because he is trying to give you everything. And you are just there enjoying his very presence along with any gift that he may give. But it is out of joy and delight and satisfaction that we come to the table. The same thing that spawns in us a desire to sing and sing loud when we hear words or we see words that articulate his glory and his honor and his majesty. So as we prepare ourselves, music team, you can go ahead and come up. As as we prepare ourselves to come and to take this meal, some will come down this aisle, some will come down this aisle, and and you don't have to wait on the other person on the other side. It is a beautiful thing to come to the table and share this meal together. But I pray that when you do, when you come, will you do this for me? When you take the bread and you dip it in the cup, and you remember Jesus' body which was broken for you, and you dip it into the cup, which is his blood that was spilled for us, will you just articulate verbally your love and your affection for him? It may be a strange thing for you to do because maybe the only time that we ever do it is either when we're praying with other people maybe or when we're singing a song. And I don't know if maybe we've even thought about how do I even just Say directly to him how he has so changed me. So I would challenge you to do that. Come. Come to the table. Come and speak with him. Be grateful. If you've never followed Jesus before, may this be the first step in beginning to follow Jesus. That you would come to the table and you would just receive. He's not asking you to do anything. He just wants to lay something in your lap if you would receive it. And when you see him rightly, you will not be able to help, but love your brother, be shaped and molded by his goodness. Let's pray. Jesus, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of all the universe for planting your body and blood in the ground. That it would germinate and it would become powerful and it would be resurrected in new bodily form, giving us hope and giving us joy to know that you are the one who overcame sin and death. Help us to respond to your goodness. Help us to respond to your kindness. May it lead us to repentance. That we would follow you more nearly, not out of duty, but out of sheer delight in loving and gazing upon how majestic you are. May we love and may we love our brothers deeply. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.